Welcome to the Social Justice War Room, the podcast where we talk about social justice in fiction, reality, and everything in between. My guest today is one of my heroes who inspired me to do this. He's done a lot of stuff on YouTube to push forth uh, a progressive fandom, a online culture free of the kind of reactionary hatred that's choked out so much of it and has made me and many others confident to speak up. He, so please welcome Dane Whitman. How are you doing today? Hey, uh, doing doing okay. I'm making it, you know, it's yeah. uh, it's almost almost the end of the week. So yeah. Yeah, so I, again, I want to thank you in your service because since the, the movement's really dying down, we don't want, talk about it too much, but the kind of the comic skate people, the kind of alt-right reactionary people that infected online comics fandom had had taken up a lot of space and harassed a lot of people. And you did a really good job speaking out against them and taking them to task. And I know that it wasn't without personal cost because of the way they go after people and but again, thank you. Oh uh, I mean, you know, no thanks necessary. It's, I mean, I appreciate it. I, I'm, you know, it's it's still pretty surreal that, you know, I mean, if five thousand subscribers isn't a lot by like YouTube success standards, but like, I didn't have any expectations for anything close to that when I started this. It was just I was just compelled and like, uh, I yeah, I guess I just noticed that uh, there was this. You know, like you couldn't, I would see certain videos sometimes of people saying something vaguely, you know, or slightly criticizing Comicsgate or whatever. And there would be like just tons of comments in it that were like, you know, comic skaters and whatnot. Um, basically just very discouraging stuff. And, and I, I, I watched several channels start to, you know, somebody would start a channel and make a couple of videos and then they would get those kinds of responses. They get mass downvoted. And then they were discouraged from continuing, you know, and, uh, and it's like, and it was frustrating because I mean, not just that, I also had like a big Marvel group on Facebook back in the day. Um, and, and, you know, I was privileged enough to not know what was really going on in fandom, uh, like that. Uh, I was just kind of getting back into comics fandom and, and I started that group and I would like just post some benign thing about you know like even if it was just an image that had like Kamala Khan in it or something like that um you know uh I would get weird comments that I didn't understand at first you know like oh they're forcing diversity or this SJW pandering I'm like what are you even talking about you know like uh I, I didn't have any context for it and and I would start looking into it and you know seeing it more and more and, and realize oh this is a whole thing <laughs> uh you know, and, and, uh, yeah, I, I guess I just, over time, I, I, I realized that I kind of have a specific constitution for dealing with like abuse, uh, from, from, from people that I know, I don't care what they think anyway, if that makes any sense. It does. Um, sorry. I mean, I, I understand it. I'm, while I'm definitely someone who's been sensitive to reaction, I've learned to focus on 
what I want to accomplish and who I want to care about. And anyone who's in the way of those is not worth my time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's it. It's like, you know, I, I, I will, uh, you know, I've had moments some recently where like someone who more or less, we have the same ethical structure and we have like a lot of the same views on things and they'll say something negative and that hurts, you know, like that, that still will get to me. Like I, that breaks through, but you know, honestly, like the, as when I, even from when I really first started talking about this stuff on, on YouTube and I would get really hateful, negative comments. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm saying something right. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's how it was. It was really actually motivating in a weird way. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, part, a big part of that is like, you know, I've, I've went through my own toxic phase and stuff, uh, you know, just fandom and then just generally socially, um, uh, years back. And, and I, did a lot of uh, therapy and like self-reflection and, and working on myself and stuff like that. kind of like built myself, my identity from the ground up, you know, on my own terms. And that, that gives me, I feel like that gives me a, a solid foundation that just that kind of stuff rolls off my back it, yeah. or just, just straight up motivates me. You know what I mean? Um, well, there's so much talk online about how, like there's so much cancel culture and people aren't forgiving, but usually the people sit who are accusing the other side of not being forgiving have no intention of actually doing anything to reflect on their own behavior or try to change. And clearly it, I don't know, I didn't know you went back then. So I only know what you're saying, but it sounds like you've done a lot of work to take other people's feedback into consideration and do the things that you needed to do to feel better and to be better. Um, I mean, I guess it's, it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I took some feedback, I suppose, uh, but it was really like, I, I, I guess, you know, if I'm, if I'm being charitable to myself, which, which is weird to this kind of statement is weird to say aloud, but I, uh, I feel like I've always had, like, I've always been a sensitive, caring person and, and wanted to do the right thing and, and not hurt anyone and, and even, you know, speak out on injustice and stuff like that. But like, because of the way I was kind of, well, raised, but also not really raised at all. Um, you know, like I, I developed a lot of, uh, you know, toxic uh, traits and, and just kind of reactive, uh, you know, um, impulses that, that weren't really grounded in anything, except these are like reactions to the life that I've been born into kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's where it's like, but over time, you know, I would, I, I realized that I carried a lot of shame and guilt because I, knew on some level that being toxic and antisocial and being selfish and like just being an asshole wasn't who I really am on the inside. And that these, this is like kind of just what has developed due to the circumstances I was in. Um, and so that's, that's what really motivated me more than anything is just like, I mean, yeah, there were obviously some feedback from people I cared about, but like the main thing was like, I was ashamed of who I'd become. And it was like, I don't want to fucking be ashamed anymore. I want to be the person that I know I can be or, or thought I hoped I could be. And, uh, and that's what motivated me. But yeah, you're right. Like there's a lot of, uh, you know, on, on the internet, <laughs> there, there's a lot of essentializing. There's a lot of people who 
they they it, there's social capital in it right to be like oh i'm i'm the more progressive and and enlightened one than you and if i if i point out your flaws and even just your past uh you know awfulness even though you've changed that still makes me look superior and people you know what i mean yeah uh and i don't think that everybody's doing that intentionally um I, I mean, some probably are, but I think it's just kind of like how the these internet platforms, social media platforms, have kind of well, wired us. Products yeah. of the environment we live in, and it. You're right that it is a big thing about social capital, and even leftists who are who would describe themselves as staunchly anti-capitalist fall into this because, like not the thrill and the engagement you gain of dunking on someone you don't like, regardless of whether or not what they did is proportional to the dunking. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's a dopamine reward. It's a chemical thing. Like these, these platforms are designed to have that effect. Like it's not an accident. You know what I mean? Like the, the whole point is, you know, like there was that Facebook leak a while back that kind of, you know, confirmed what we, you know, pretty much already knew. But just to the degree that that Facebook, you know, weaponizes this, the psychology of the human brain, right? Like they, they pay people to figure out what's the best way to get a reaction from someone. Well, and then, you know, the, the quickest way to get an impulse reaction, the easiest way to get an impulse reaction is uh, anger or like self-righteousness. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and, and we're all susceptible to that. Uh and you know me as, as much as anybody else i just you know I th- that's why i just try to say that it, you're not going to always be great at it but i think it's important to be mindful of you know uh recognizing those patterns and and uh so on you know i mean that's it's one, honestly it's kind of one of the reasons that i i mean i use that you know what i mean like that's what my content utilizes or it has up until this point is like the conflict and the 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 engagement that you know, if I was just talking about just comics and stuff like that, and just the stuff I love, I, my channel wouldn't be where it is. Uh, you know, I mean, maybe it would, but I mean, it's, I definitely wouldn't have grown the way that it has. And, and uh, you know, yeah, uh, because, because I'm, I'm utilizing the same tactics that like comics gate and others do. It's just that I'm kind of turning a mirror on them with it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I where it's like this conflict driven and, and, sometimes even clickbaity uh titles but it's like i do try to utilize my my actual ethics and like you know point out harmful shit whereas a lot of these people that that utilize these platforms just do it in the most selfish and toxic and and even harmful ways possible well another big Um, difference is that uh, while there's definitely been a kind of community that's formed around actual fandom and forced adversity and people who repeatedly show up on your streams like willow from my previous interview that i did and robo strange who you do the beta boys podcast with and the rest of the i freaking love comics things but it doesn't seem like any of you are trying to be the leader or the face of the movement it's not like how say comics gate is defined by a particular former green lantern artist who's a has a swastika inspired signature and b tattooed said signature on himself 
Yeah, among among many other uh, very troubling signs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, it's it's a weird position for me to be in because, like I was saying a minute ago about how I who I used to be, uh, what came along with a lot of those those toxic kind of reactive behaviors that was all in protection of a very insecure ego. Uh, you know, like and and. I was just a very insecure person and uh, did not like attention on myself. That was like actually something I had to work really hard at. I mean, that's the reason I wore a freaking mask and helmet for a while, a long time when I first started was like, I was just, you know, so uncomfortable with like attention on me and I'm definitely uncomfortable feeling like I'm in some kind of leadership role. Um, but it's, so it's kind of weird that I, you know, I mean, I'm uh, grateful, but it, I can't help but feel it's, it's odd that I found myself in this position where like, people look up to me and, you know, you know, respect me and, and value what I have to say and what I do and stuff. And it's like, I was never looking for that. It was just like, I'm, uh, you know, this is like, I, like I mentioned a minute ago, I wasn't really raised. I had a really, really awful family life growing up. Um, you know, like really, uh, just awful parenting, uh, when there was parenting at all. Um, and, and a lot of instability and, and, you know, just, you know, neglect, abuse, things like that. But the, like one of the couple of things that were a constant for me were comics and just my fandom and my love of comics and like film and, and sci-fi and just narrative in general. Um, you know, like when I didn't have any stability in anything else, I had those, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And, and so when I finally got myself to a point where like, okay, I'm actually a, reasonably healthy adult now uh i i look around and i see these people that are you know toxifying this fandom that like is is has meant so much to me my whole life and to to see that it, it's it is really it still pisses me off yeah uh, and it's one thing that you've brought up being on the autism spectrum yourself like me that a lot of autistic young men are especially susceptible to being pulled in by these groups, which is something that I don't want to, to hear from people who aren't on the spectrum, because it sounds like they're just making excuses to to find a scapegoat, but yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's not it, it there, there, there is a fine line there with like, are you saying it in a dismissive of these people, you know, uh, type of way, or are you is like in, in my, you know, for me, it, it comes from honestly a place of, of empathy and concern as awful as these people can be, you know, even certain ones that, you know, we might've talked about before we started recording. Like, I think that there's that, that there's still a level of empathy where it's like, no, I don't, I don't regret calling them out. I don't regret, you know, I'm, I'm proud of, spotlighting harmful behavior but on some level there is part of me that's like ah, i just wish that the right influence would have gotten to them first you know yeah. what i mean um because what what they what happened instead is these you know they probably have a very awful life at home like I, the the type of people that that tend to be the most vocal and and awful online about about fandom and stuff like that I, I, it's hard to, you know, my, my girlfriend was telling me the other day, just imagine what their life's like when, you know, they wake up in the morning, they hate their lives, they hate themselves. And the only way that they can get any kind of validation and like dopamine is to just be on Twitter or whatever and say awful shit. 
you know, that makes them feel worthwhile as a human being. And, and as a, as a humanist, like I, I relate to that need for validation. I think everybody does, but like, and that's, that's what makes it kind of a con and a grift and a, and a little bit of a cult because that's the same thing cult leaders do, right? Like they find vulnerable people yeah. who feel alienated. They feel like, you know, like where, where's my place? uh in life and in the world and and you know i don't fit in like other people do and such and those are all very common and valid feelings but then some narcissist uh you know even sociopathic person finds a way to uh weaponize that monetize it and uh it's it's really really awful uh and i, I just i hope if nothing else i've i've helped a few people kind of see that that dynamic and and consider it well, it, I know that given the way politics internationally have worked, especially in the past few years, knowing the, all the characteristics of cults, all the characteristics of fascism, all the characteristics of narcissistic personality disorders seems to have become memorized just by how often we see it. Mm -hmm. And one thing, of course, part of it is, again, due to the nature of social media communication, how everything has been so hyper-polarized by the way it rewards different psychological behaviors. But we still, at least I hope most of us still have some kind of desire to reach out to people and to be able to negotiate differences and forgive misunderstandings. But when you have people who are literal outright neo-nazis you have to draw the line but like how, where would you consider drawing the the line be in terms of like ideological di differences um what do you mean by drawing the line like as far as like I, where you decide side i just can't talk to this person i can't reason with them they're just well, terrible i don't i don't tend to uh look at things on ideological lines and i know that probably might seem i mean not to you necessarily but to other people that might not seem like the case but um you know i did a video very early on in my channel like early on i had not fully committed to only doing like fandom stuff i was you know i would do some of that but then i would like if i just had a thought about something else i would just make a video on it and I, I had been working on a theory about, you know, once I'd been through my therapy and done a lot of, you know, growth and stuff like that, and, and a lot of studying of like, you know, emotional states and psychological states and stuff like that. And I'd gotten really hung up on this idea of emotional intelligence, right? And, um, and, and I mean, I guess the, the maybe the more, you know, because I understand that there's like problems with the concept of intelligence, uh, you know, it can be problematic. Uh, so, I mean, maybe the better way to say it is emotional maturity. Um, yeah. But I, I got really hung up on that and realized, oh, this is the, like, I'm still the same person that I've always been. But the reason that I, my life is better, that my relationships are better, that, that I, you know, don't friggin' hate myself anymore is because of the emotional growth that I've done. And that allows me, you know, like, even though I've always been an empathetic and sensitive, caring person, I was not able to practice those things because I was just so emotionally undeveloped that I was in constant, like kind of self protect mode or react mode. You know what I mean? And 
when I when that clicked and it's like, oh, the literally the only difference between me now and then, it's not that I've like changed who I am fundamentally. It's that I've just learned how to access, you know, uh, healthy ways to practice who I am. And and that really resonated in the sense that like once I, I realized that years ago, a few years ago, I would ju- basically judge the people. Well, judge isn't the right word, but analyze the people like if I'm going to have a girlfriend or a friend or whatever in my life, um, my first kind of, you know, uh, I guess my analysis of whether or not like this is someone I want in my life on a regular basis or, or to be close to is are they emotionally mature? Have they either done this work that I've done or, you know, in some cases, people just kind of are, are, you know, usually because of environmental circumstances, they're just, you know, already to that point without having to do a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and once that clicked, I, and I still look at things that way. It just so happens that uh, it seems like the people who are not on an emotional maturity level that uh, that I find healthy or uh, or you know, beneficial to others. And it's usually the opposite. The people that that tend to have very, you know, very unhealthy and harmful and just toxic, even abusive, uh, you know, behavior patterns, what I would consider emotionally undeveloped, those people are on the right. You know, that's that's not to say that there's not uh, the other on the left. That's that wouldn't be accurate at all. But like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's hard for me to imagine somebody who's gotten to a level of, you know, empathy, practicing empathy and, and practicing like, you know, realizing that other human beings are in fact as human, as much human beings as, as they are, uh, that they could still be on the right side, you know, the, as in the, the right wing yeah. and, and have those politics and practice those views. Like it just doesn't seem congruent to me. Um, well, and so that's how it, that's where it's not like the ideology, ideological split is a byproduct for me. You know what I mean? Of, of looking yeah. at things this way. Well, a lot of it is that like to have a society, we do need some kind of basic ideological and rational consensus. Like we need to be able to agree that people who are struggling who are poor or sick deserve help and that we should do unto others as we do. And we should be able to all, and in terms of like facts, like we should be able to like agree on basic things like vaccines work and wearing a mask works. And with a lot, the way things have gone so polarized, it, for many people, there isn't even that like Trump ran on a platform of very explicit cruelty and it's just, I, yeah. I personally just can't negotiate that. I can't see someone on that side of the aisle as a potential ally until no. they come come forth acknowledging their their sins and actually doing the work to get forgiveness. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I would, I would kind of like, I, I guess, I would encourage not using those the, like the term sin or forgiveness because i don't think that those are yeah. like you know those are pretty loaded <laughs> they come with a lot of uh, a lot of baggage because you know the idea of a sin and forgiveness is almost has more to do with the spirit and that's and, true and like a supernatural or or whatever type of thing and it's like it really isn't that it's just 
you know, I'm a humanist. I mean, I'm an atheist, like I, as in, you know, I just don't believe in any God that, that at least that's been described or, you know, that I've heard about. Um, and, but I'm on top, I mean, I, but I don't describe myself as that typically just because it doesn't, it's, it's a lack of, of a position more than anything. So like my positive position in that regard is humanism. Um, and, and that, you know, to me means maximizing well-being for as many people as possible, reducing suffering for as many people as possible. And, and not just because, oh, I'm, I'm more, uh, enlightened than you, or I'm a better person or anything. It's just like, even on a selfish, pragmatic, cynical level, that's still beneficial to everyone. You know what I mean? Like you can look at the data of, of, uh, you know, countries that have like, you know, enacted more strong social safety nets to where there's like nobody that starves or, you know, like in Scandinavian countries and such, right? Like there's, there's, it's a much less of a burden on society in general. So even if you just want to look at it in that cynical, detached view, like the facts and data support this being the better way to look at things and to operate, you know what I mean? I just realized that... using words like sin and forgiveness and that kind of binary morality is probably a result of the fact that I grew up reading so many superhero comics and that kind of very melodramatic way of speaking, including on real issues that I got from so much Chris Claremont. Oh yeah. Yeah. He was, he he definitely had his, uh, there's a little bit of a, I suppose, Catholic undertones of some of what he had to say. Um, but I mean, I, yeah, I, I get, I mean, I definitely don't think that you meant it in, a, in any kind of religious way. I just, you know, I, I've seen people take issue with those terms. So I'm just, you know, I, I'm pointing it out because I think it's just more strategically sound to find uh, less loaded ways to say it. And like, uh, you know, like I, I, when I first was on YouTube, I, made some kind of tweet uh about you know well i used to think have some pretty transphobic and harmful harmful views like you know what do i how does one and i wasn't like asking because i was literally asking for redemption it was more of like a, a philosophical question to get people to think about like what does it take for someone to be redeemed after being that way and and somebody pointed out to me rightly so that like redemption isn't really the point you know like it's uh redemption is a, is about you you know what i mean when it when it's like that's that's really the wrong way to look at it i think with it, it's like yes you need to be okay with yourself you need to square things with who you are and you need to you know kind of forgive yourself in the sense that i'm i've made these mistakes and i'm not that person anymore and i you know you don't want to carry that self-hatred around that's important but like in a societal broader social view, like redemption is kind of meaningless to anybody else. You know, it's like the, you have these, uh, you know, there's there's memes that go around about like, especially during like BLM protests in 2020, there were like white people that were like bowing down in front of black people in the streets to, to be like, we, we're sorry, do you forgive oh, us? Oh, yes. I... And it's like so fucking cringe. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, and, and I and like I saw a lot of black folks online saying that this is not what we're, we don't want this. We don't, it's not about your feelings. You know what I mean? Like just stop, do, just change and then do the right thing and, and you're good. 
You know what I mean? Like nobody's nobody's wants to take their there's it's not black people's responsibility to to absolve you of your sins. Uh, yeah. I'm th- including a certain speaker of the house who took the knee dressed in kinty cloth as if oh, that God. was a meaningful gesture. But yes, that that's exactly what it is. Yeah, it's like this is you're making it about you and and you you Nancy. You need to go ahead and uh, not run again, like you just announced you're going to do. But uh, you know, <laughs> never mind. That's just, that's a uh, uh, yeah side point. In happier news, since we need as much of that as we can, like uh-huh. a lot of what you've done to foster a positive fandom community, where people who come together to enjoy these things can feel like empowered and supported instead of put at odds with each other. And like, I remember when we were doing the patron exclusive watch party, the 1991 Captain America movie, and that was a really great experience because yeah, the movie was terrible, but (laughs) it was laugh. Not only was it laughably terrible, but it was also a good reminder of how far we've come in actually getting superhero comics a place in pop culture. Yeah, I mean, they, they barely got that made, you know, it was such a small budget and they, they cobbled it together, you know, and, and I don't want to discount that the people that worked on it didn't want to make a good movie or anything, um, but, you know, it's just the, the market was so unwilling to accept that kind of thing. And it's like, and, and, and they, they just kind of cobbled it together and then it was like they looked at it and were like, Marvel looked at it and was like, we can't release this to the theaters, you know, and to, to look at where we're at now where we got like 25 plus, you know, just uh, mostly great films, uh, you know, and, and it's like an interconnected thing, just like the comics are like it. It's still surreal. Uh, you know, I, um, I, I remember when X-Men 2 came out and my brother and I left the theater after after X-Men 2 opening night. And, you know, he's the one that got me into comics and stuff. And like we were just so hyped. And uh and I and I said something like, Man, I wonder if we'll ever get an Avengers movie. And my brother just laughed at me. And he was like, No. He was like, the only way, because the X-Men, they all get their powers from the same source. It's it's relatively easy in a movie to go, they're all mutants. Now let's have the story. The, the story can go on you know what i mean uh with the avengers and he, this is he literally said this and i laugh at this every time i think about it he's like no they can't do that because they first they would have to make a captain america movie to explain his origin they'd have to make a thor movie to explain his origin and so on and i was like oh yeah there's no way they're gonna do that <laughs> and, uh, you know uh here we are yeah i i saw like amazing spider-man 2 from sony recently and i keep thinking about how the even though that was going on at the same time as the Marvel Cinematic Universe was getting popular, that they still like had so much time to like info dump, like how every character gets their powers, how they come to have these costumes and their names. Like it's almost like an embarrassment that they're doing superheroes. And even though the film only had a few villains, it still felt, like overcrowded and like they didn't stick to the actual point of the story whereas now there's just like a general understanding that we have rocket raccoons and red androids who wear sensible turtle turtlenecks 
<laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, fully. It's uh, it's 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 kind of wild to to you know compare the two. And yeah, yeah, that was by the way, that was a really fun time. Um, you know, I I wanted to do that because like the the watch party with the bad movie because you know I mean if we watch a good movie then I'm not going to be able to like you know we'd just be watching a good movie and enjoying it and it's like I wanted to be able to interact with you guys and yeah. uh you know kind of have a good time even if it was a cringe good time sometimes yeah. well um, it does feel like for fans who grew up in that time we have a literal embarrassment of riches and when there are all the people who are talking about the fandom being under siege it's like you want to go back to a time when this stuff was just limited to a few people in an AV room after school. Yeah, they, they, I mean, there, there are people that, uh, you know, they, they resent having to share those like, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I feel kind of lucky in the way that like, I've, I've talked about this before as a kid, you know, when this stuff was not popular, you know, in the 90s, I mean, like, yeah, comics were getting popular in certain circles, but they were nowhere near mainstream popular, right? Like, uh, the closest thing we had in the 90s was the speculator boom. And that like, yeah, that some of the comics were mainstream, but only because people were thinking they were gonna, you know, send their kids to college by selling them and stuff like that. Um, you know, yeah. so like, <clears throat> but I remember, you know, I would read comics and, and people would pick on me or ignore me or whatever and and i would just read them and and, and i ha remember having these moments of like christ identity crisis almost where i'm like should i just stop reading this maybe i would be more popular maybe i could make friends and then i would like read a comic again or watch some you know or watch some sci-fi movie and go and it would just connect with me so profoundly that i'm like i can't i'm not gonna do that you know and i and i just wish that everybody could see what i see in this like it was as a kid that was just all i wanted was like you guys don't you don't even take the time to you know to to even look at what's in this book that I'm looking at you know what I mean like you don't you don't know and and it was really frustrating and alienating and and I know that I'm far from the only kid that that felt that and to look at where it is now where comics are essentially a mainstream thing um you know they're not the most mainstream they're not like as popular as video games they're not as popular as movies but like they're they're right there in in just inside the the window of what i what i would consider mainstream at this point yeah um, and it feels like maybe there's some kind of resentment that some people have over this popularity that like it's like the world forgot that they were being picked on for enjoying this thing as if there was some kind of valor in that well and that's why i think you know going back to the emotional maturity thing right is like it seems like that yeah they probably a lot of these people that I've talked about on my channel and stuff probably felt a lot of the same stuff I did where it's like, uh, you know, this stuff's so cool, but nobody, nobody thinks it's cool and they think I suck or I'm a nerd or whatever because I read it. And because they didn't, they haven't reached that level of emotional maturity. It creates, like you said, a resentment rather than this, you know, that's why I made that, that clip I talked about uh, a while back, uh, ambassadors and gatekeepers, right? Like there's two ways you can go with it. And, you know, one of them is you can be a gatekeeper, you can use that resentment, we're like, well, no, I put in, you know, I put in the time and effort of being alienated and made fun of. And now I'm an adult, and I'm the one that's going to control, you know, you're, you can't just come in here now that you, you know, you hated on me when I was, you know what I mean? Like, it, that probably is part of their, 
I don't want to say logic because I don't think they really think about it, but I think that's part of like the emotional resentment where it's like these, a lot of the same people who 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago would have made fun of me are now going to see the movies and talking about how cool these characters are and stuff like that. And, and so they become the gatekeepers out of like almost resentment and a, and a feeling of control. You know, like I want to control this now because I put in the effort you know, I put in my time, you didn't kind of thing. And to me, it's like the, the better thing to do, the healthy thing to do. And the thing that's, you know, if you really love these fandoms, the thing to do is to be an ambassador. Like if you love them, then you should be finding ways to encourage more people and people that are just getting interested. You, you've got like, if you're like, you know, you and I, and, and a lot of these people have a lot of knowledge of this stuff from going back years, you have so much to offer, right? Like you can be a guide to somebody and you can, uh, you know, show them something that, that they might not have seen. Otherwise you can point them in a direction of something that'll really resonate with them. Yeah. And, well, and yeah. One thing I've, I heard was a description of the way like cis white men tend to engage with fan fiction as kind of, like not necessarily politically conservative but aimed at like conserving things like fixing the status quo and making sure the characters are like the right version of the status quo and uh, for people who've been on the outside they approach doing fanfic more as transformative like showing potential queer relationships between characters and going into different aspects of their backstories that weren't touched on in the main stories and since marvel and dc stuff is basically professional fan fiction like everyone nobody who goes in owns the characters but they likely grew up reading them and are doing their own takes that mm -hmm. a lot of the more recent trends it in comics writing and the increased in quote-unquote forced diversity is a reflection of that and but to me, I think that's just better writing, better storytelling. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're, I mean, you're actually, you're absolutely right, because, uh, you know, probably I'd say the vast majority of creators who are working on, you know, mainstream books um, are people who, like you said, grew up reading them and, you know, maybe had a specific kind of connection, you know, like maybe they, maybe there was one issue of a X-Men comic where something was kind of mentioned in passing that that Claremont or something that he never picked up on again like he just kind of there's this one mention of a, something from a character or whatever and and then he kept on going and didn't really pick up on that any further but then that person somebody reading that might have really connected with that and that became like a seed of an idea in their mind as they grew up and like that's what they that's what resonated with them and then they get to you know become a writer for X-Men and they're like finally i get to that one little seed that claremont dropped uh you know i get to expand on that i get to grow it and you know just as an example uh the, um making an example yeah. up but you know something along those lines um, and even when we follow the characters histories like there is a constant kind of change and reversion and change it's just in the nature of keeping a title running for decades and decades interesting and a lot of the so-called forced diversity things do actually 
play into this, like the stuff with Jane Foster becoming the new Thor was gave her a lot to do, but it also gave the old Odin son his own arc and his own struggles with losing that hammer that yeah. had defined his entire sense of being. How exactly? Like, I mean, yeah, great point. Because, like, okay, let's say even if you just don't like Jane Foster as as Thor, and it's not even for a sexist reason, which I yeah, I kind of doubt that that's you know. But I mean, let's just give benefit of the doubt that there's somebody that's like, you know, I just don't like this version. I don't think it makes sense. So on. Okay, but did you check out Unworthy Thor? Because it's some of the best Thor stuff you could ever read. You know what I mean? Like it, and it, it created this opportunity for Jason Aaron to tell this whole, a more human approach to Thor where he's like, <clears throat> you know, I talked about this with somebody the other day about how Jason Aaron is a very staunch atheist. And, and I saw an interview or something with him one time where there was, somebody was like, you're, you're very atheist, and yet you write gods better than anybody. What's up with that? Uh, and he's like, well, because I don't, because I tend to look at them not as gods necessarily, like gods in name only and their powers and their status, but ultimately I write them as if they're, they're humans and flawed like anybody else. And, and that, that type of perspective has, you know, in my opinion, made Thor far more accessible and enjoyable than he's ever been uh and and deepened his his character from just you know a, a super powerful guy that that talks funny and everybody looks up to him and stuff like he he has human flaws and he uh you know and, and has to square that with being a god and it's that's just far more compelling to me than than anything else yeah but, and of course like dealing with the fact that his father Odin is someone who literally plays into that fantasy of being God. And especially in Jason Aaron's books is like the most domineering asshole father you could have. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have some screenshots from, I was reading through um, war of the realms recently, as well as like the, the Thor comic that was running concurrently with it. So kind of tie in stuff. And there's this uh, one issue in particular where it's super, super powerful father, son stuff that like, you take away the the god stuff the powers and everything this is a story that could play out in real life and does you know what i mean like with a father who his son is never good enough for him you know he he's he's not even he doesn't even appreciate the good things his son does he dismisses them he doesn't you know praise him for his growth and his his uh you know uh anything and and it creates a resentment in the sun and the sun, it almost like motivates the sun more to, uh, well, I'm going to be a better person than you, you know, like you're, you, I, yeah. And I, and I think that's a very human story. Um, but yeah, nonetheless, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So one thing I wanted to ask, since you're definitely staying in tension to move away from the admittedly enjoyable dunking on chumps to a more positive fandom, like an actual fandom about people who love this stuff instead of trying to gatekeep it. What kind of things can we expect from that? I know you've done some really good videos so far looking at like the working class roots of Superman and his creators. Anything else that, that the listeners might look forward to? Yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got so many ideas that, it's it's kind of embarrassing that I have been sitting on them so long. So, like, in fact, you know, the 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 most viewed video that I've ever done, which was really like a month into 
month and a half into making videos was uh, the Watchmen video about the HBO show Watchmen. Yeah. And and it, that has a lot of what I want to do in it. There, so, but I, but it also has. There's definitely some elements in there of like I need. I'm addressing, you know, what comic skaters and and you know bigots are saying about you know Watchmen being woke and it's terrible and this is betraying Alan Moore's vision and so on and so forth. And it's like and and as as someone who's you know I've literally got a Watchmen tattoo. I've got a document. You know, I got that like within days of reading the book in like 2007. Um, you know, it was just such a impactful book to me, um, that I've been kind of obsessed with it since. And like, and, and, and I, you know, if, if I went into that show and it did not pick up on the things that I felt were important about Watchmen, I would have said so, you know, but what it did was that and more like it took, you know, the kind of, kind of like what we were just talking about, like some of the seeds that Alan Moore wrote, but as like a, uh, as a British white cis man, uh, you know, it, it was from his perspective. Now, what would happen if we took those same core elements and that some of those same uh, perspectives and approached it from, let's say, a black perspective and like a historical, you know, perspective in terms of like the the history of uh, black oppression, and uh, you know, and 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 it matches, it fits perfectly to me, like because, it, of course, if Ozymandias winning at the end of Watchmen and, and he temper, you know, of course, sure. At that moment, Russia and U S are like, Oh, we can't go to war. We got to come together. That doesn't solve the problem of systemic racism and oppression. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it, so it made perfect sense to me that, okay, yeah, he's created this weird distorted new utopia and he's maybe prevented world war three, but that's not saving the world. That's not saving society, you know? Um, <clears throat> Yeah. So, but that kind of thing, um, you know, and and like you said, the Superman video, uh, the Flash Gordon one, that's definitely a series I'm going to continue. You know, I kind of started with Flash Gordon because I wanted to kind of go through kind of the broad strokes of comics, the evolution of comics. Uh, You know, so that's what like with Flash Gordon, it was like not even a comic book. It was a comic strip, but it was so influential to what comic books were like you know you can look and find direct influences that siegel and schuster took from flash gordon for superman and you can find direct influences like literally like a uh where uh bob kane just straight up copied a couple of images of flash gordon as he did yeah and yeah a lot and 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 he added uh you know like a cape and cowl to it and look what's batman now you know what i mean so uh you know a lot of these things that we just take for granted now and and you know we put these creators on a pedestal uh you know in siegel and schuster's case they they deserve it uh bill finger's case he deserves it bob kane not so much yeah um one thing that go on did you have yeah i was just gonna say that that, that's a series i'm gonna continue indefinitely um, you know, um, I, I'd like working on that Superman video is the most satisfying and fulfilling video production process that I've ever done. And, and even when I watch it back now, um, I, I, I hesitate to say this, but like, if I was ever going to make a quote unquote, uh, masterpiece video, I would say that's it. Uh, yeah. you know, I just, I'm super proud of it. Uh, should pun be. intended uh it i put so much into it and just the that was honestly when probably when the idea of like 
realizing I don't want to do this chud stuff forever. That's when it hit because working on that video was just such a pure joy. I didn't have to, wasn't worrying about what other people are saying about this or that. I was just like, let's look at the history and the the inspiration for these creators and, and how they worked from, you know, poor sons of immigrants and, and got their character to be so popular. And also how that the system that they entered into with this character kind of, I mean, screwed them over. And all that stuff is, is fascinating to me. And I feel like we can learn a lot by looking at that process and that bit of history. Well, one thing that I've noticed in the superhero genre with this like wave of diversity is that it comes as a response to Watchmen and its influence because like Watchmen has these characters based on Charlton characters who are of course like all tying into this history and the sense of like how yeah it is all cis white men and is all them taking unilateral actions and be deciding that their might makes right and seeing the act the fallout of that and it's a book about fundamentally about a bunch of sad middle-aged old men who okay middle-aged isn't quite old but they're de- they definitely have been around a while and they've tried to make things better and it has just ended up in a lot of ways making things worse but a lot of the stuff we have now with legacy characters is characters inheriting those roles and doing something better with them learning from the mistakes of the past taking what's come before and making it something better like my favorite example is the nadia van dyne wasp whose father henry pym is of course famous for being that one time he hit the original wasp when they were married, the one yeah. thing he'll never live down, but his daughter being, she never, he was dead and she was ra- raised in like the Russian underground facility because comics, but she's, she acknowledges not only is she bipolar, but that's something genetic that she inherited from her father. And a lot of his behavior was the result of that being unknown undiagnosed and going wild so like her strip which unfortunately was canceled because us sjws do not have full control of the industry unlike popular belief had her coming to terms with that and managing her own disorder and learning how to live with it and i think that was some the kind of way that comics can point to ways we can be better and see a world that can be better than it is and your channel has done a lot to do that for fandom and from there we can push to make more material changes and it is something that brings me hope in these times so for your significant role in that thank you oh um i i mean i appreciate it no 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 thanks necessary but it is appreciated i i you know i just uh you know, I have a kid now and I, you know, part of it, like outside of my own, like I want fandom to be better. Like that's a big part of it, but also, you know, I want the world to be better. And, uh, and I understand that this is a niche, uh, you know, that, that it's not like I'm literally changing the world, uh, or, or even reaching a very broad audience doing this or what I've been doing. But like, in my mind, if I could reach a few people, uh, and, and, you know, through the way that I analyze media and just exactly how you just described the, the, uh, the wasp book and like, uh, 
like yeah there's there's cool costumes and powers and these characters are cool look at the fights and all that stuff but what's what's going on underneath that what's what's going on with the characters that are real human experiences and what can we take from that and and then like you know in my mind if i could if i could get a couple of comic book nerds you know to analyze systemic racism through the watchman video or to analyze how you know uh corporations will very often you know screw over the the people who are you know are, are necessary to make their corporations profitable like they did with dc did with siegel and schuster if i can get people to think about that stuff that's a win-win for me you know um and that's that goes back to how that what I would get from comics as a kid because, <clears throat> like I said, I wasn't you know I was raised in the deep south, very regressive, uh, you know, Southern Baptist, just uh, authoritarian in, in a lot of ways culture, um, and yet at, at eleven, ten, eleven years old when I was reading X Men comics, you know, I very distinctly remember the moment where. I was reading and like, it hit me that, oh, the mutants are not just, they're not just some fun thing that were made up in comics so that we could have people with cool powers. Like, yeah, that's the superficial layer, but you know, so like in a, in a culture where I wasn't encouraged to think about racism. And in fact, you know, there were slurs thrown around casually in my household, you know, like, and, and, uh, and I even picked up on some of that when I was young. Uh, just, you know, kind of internalize some of those ideas. It's it's just unfortunate how that happens in cultures like that. But it caused me to take a step back and go, oh, wait, if I look at mutants, like, let's say black people, uh, it makes a lot of sense in real terms. And then, you know, similar thing with like Captain America. And, you know, I didn't get into him until a few years later because at first I was like, that's kind of lame. I just thought he looked silly. I guess guy wearing American flag, like just kind of an American, American, uh, tool basically was what I thought he was. And, uh, and then as I would start reading cap comics and I would get into some of his, his infamous monologues and speeches, you know what I mean? Where he's like talking about what it really means to be, uh, to, defend liberty and and it's not just liberty for some and and liberty for all you know what i mean like yeah. it got me thinking about things that i don't think i would have thought about otherwise you know and same thing with like spider-man and you know power and responsibility um it's not just a cool phrase that explains his origin it's there's there's something universally true about that um you know that that speaks to in fact leftist ideals you know what i mean um yeah with power dynamics and, and things like that so yeah and of course it was with great power comes great responsibility not with great power comes whatever we can negotiate with mansion and cinema well uh i mean it, yeah exactly yeah you're right uh you know and and i uh one one important thing that this this was reminded i was reminded of this not even that long ago uh that there's a key uh maybe i read it in a comic or i think it might have been spider-verse i'm not sure but like yeah the the common quote is with great power comes great responsibility that's even what uh what uncle ben says in the raimi spider-man movie right that's exactly yeah. what he says and but it's kind of like 
you know, the same way that people think that Darth Vader said, Luke, I am your father, when he really said, no, I am, you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of a misremembered quote. Yeah. Um, what it originally was in the comics was with great power must come great responsibility. And that word changes everything. You know, it changes the intention, that word must, because if you say with great power comes great responsibility, you're just kind of taking for granted that, oh, I've got power and responsibility comes along with that. But that kind of makes it a passive framing. Yeah. Uh, whereas adding that word must, it, it if you really think about it, it's it's saying you have to choose to you use that responsibility wisely and you have to keep choosing it. It's not like you choose to be responsible one time and then you're just going to be responsible all the time. You like have to wake up every day and must choose to be responsible yeah. with your power. And it's it's a it's an act of choice. But yeah, well, we could I could definitely go on all day talking to you about this stuff, but <laughs> I do have to put a limit on the podcast. So thank you everyone. Check out Dan at his ch channel Force Adversity. Thank you very much for coming yeah. on. Uh, actually, by the way, the uh, the channel name is changing tomorrow. Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'll update you'll... the show notes accordingly. Cool. All right. Thank you, Neil, very much. Thank I you. really appreciate you. You too. Bye. Okay.